Good morning, church. Man, the temperature outside dropped like a like we do coming off the mountain every Sunday from 90 to 55, didn't it? I mean, just like that, just dropped. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to take uh, your, your copy and, and open, locate the book of Habakkuk. Now, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name or not, okay? Maybe it's Habakkuk, maybe it's Habakkuk, maybe it's Habakkuk, maybe it's Habachi, maybe it's Chewbacca, maybe it's Habakkuk. I don't think it's Habakkuk. I think the only prophet famous for his cookies are Amos and the famous Amos cookies. But truth is, nobody knows how to pronounce this guy's name. I know it's a strange name, but you know, one thing I learned in traveling to Israel, if you ever get to travel to Israel, you'll learn really quick that the folks in the East will kind of laugh at us folks in the West as we try to pronounce the biblical names. We just don't have a clue, okay? So I'm not going to pretend we do. But for today's purposes, we're going to call him Habakkuk. For one simple reason, I can say it with relative ease, okay? (laughs) That's all. Uh, I know that's quite spiritual, and we'll just move on. So Habakkuk will be his name. Uh, We are going to do something today a little different. We're going to look at chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then we're going to camp out in chapter 3. So your worship guide, let me just give you this from the get-go. This is for Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to look at some questions Habakkuk asked God. We're going to look at some answers that God gives to Habakkuk. Then we're going to get to this, okay? And we'll get there. Uh, Just trust me, uh, today we'll get there. And I want to speak to you on this subject today. There's hope for the hurting. That's the message of Habakkuk. There is hope for the hurting. As you're probably well aware, there is no shortage of pain and suffering and trials and tribulation and wickedness and contention and strife in our world. You've probably noticed that, right? I mean, come on. The problem of evil is still a problem, right? I mean, you're you're aware of this. But every now and again, God shows up and shows off in a very public way. Now, unless you have just been completely unplugged from any and every type of media uh, this past week, you've probably seen some type of video footage from a court proceeding uh, by which a retired Dallas police officer uh, was on trial for shooting and killing a man that she thought was an intruder in her apartment, according to her, and she mistakenly entered the wrong apartment and shot him, and just a tragic tragedy, just tragic. And something very unexpected happened this week at her trial where the brother's victim took the stand, and after verbally forgiving her, does something amazing. And I brought a clip I want you to watch. I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Amen. Mm. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. 
I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Obviously, after watching that and wiping back tears, a couple of words came to my heart as I watched that. The first one was just wow. And that's just raw, authentic forgiveness, isn't it? I mean, that's just what that is. Just wow. I mean, the, the judge was weeping. and so Everybody in the courtroom was weeping. and Just wow. Did you notice how he pleaded to go give her a hug? To put some feet to his forgiveness. Not just lip service. To put some feet to it. And did you notice what she did? <laughs> she ran toward him. Did you see that? I, was, I had breakfast with a pastor friend of mine this week. And I like what he said. He said she was attracted to that kind of grace. Hey, our world is attracted to that kind of grace. I mean, just unmerited, undeserved, raw, authentic, just grace. Wow. Second word came to mind was, was how. How is, this, how is this even possible? I mean, how does something like that even happen? I don't know if you follow this story. It's ongoing. But there's been a lot of response to this on both sides of, uh, of, of those on the side of just extreme saying justice is more important than grace, and those say, no, grace is more important than justice, and honestly, it's a balance in the middle. And so there's been a lot of commentary, but how does, I mean, the world looks at that and says, that doesn't make any sense. Paul says, look, for the word of the cross is what? It's foolishness. It doesn't make any sense to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power, that is the gospel, just Wow, and how is that possible? Well, it's Jesus and him crucified. That's how that's possible. And then the other word that came to my mind was now, which is so encouraging that in this broken, wicked, sinful world, hope is still happening. Man, what? I mean, that just encouraged me this week. That didn't happen 200 years ago or 2,000 years ago. That happened this week. That in 2019, hope is still available. And in Habakkuk's day, Habakkuk wanted all his, his generation to know that hope is still available. He pleaded with God, much like this teenager pleading with the judge. Can I just go give her a hug? Habakkuk is pleading with God. God, would you pour out your mercy in this generation? He's pleading with it. But before we get there, that's in chapter, chapter 3. Before we get there... I want you to look at chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we're going to first of all look at Habakkuk's questions because I have a, I have a, 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 a suspicion here that, that many of you are asking these same kind of questions. For example, let's look at Habakkuk's first question in chapter 1, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? You ever felt like that? 
Here's what Habakkuk is asking. God, are you there? If you're there, do you even care? Right? Are you aware of what I'm going through? Are you there? You ever been there where you're wondering, man, all this is happening. I'm in this bad situation. Habakkuk's situation was... This is a unique book because Habakkuk is not writing a prophecy to a nation. He's not writing to the southern or northern kingdom. This is a conversation that we get a behind-the-scenes look into that Habakkuk is having with God. So that's the whole context of this, this book. Habakkuk and God are having a what we might call a gospel conversation. And in this conversation, Habakkuk has some hard questions. God, are you there? Because here's what Habakkuk was experiencing. Judah was under this just bad king after bad king after bad king after bad king. There's no food. They're in a famine. They're in a drought. You can jump over to chapter 3, verse 17. And Habakkuk says, there's no food in the fields. There's no fruit on the vines. There's no figs on the trees. There's no flock in the fold. There's no herd in the stall. We have nothing. No food. We're in a famine. We're in a drought. Babylon's about to invade us. God, are you there? You ever going through a season of life? Maybe financial, financial, maybe a medical diagnosis that's bad. Maybe a relationship that's falling apart. Maybe a marriage on the brink of collapse. Maybe the loss of a loved one. You're suffering and you're wondering, God, are you there? Here's a second question. Jump down to verse 3. Habakkuk chapter 1. Why do you make me see iniquity? Habakkuk is tired of looking around and seeing evil all the time. Wickedness, evil, brokenness, sinfulness, he sees it everywhere. And he says, Lord, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? God, why are you tolerating this? You're a just God. You're a holy God. Why are you idly standing by while all this suffering is happening? You ever feel like that? Going through a time of suffering and God is just standing idly by doing nothing. You ever feel that way? This book is for you. Habakkuk is for you. If you've ever felt that way. So Habakkuk says, God, where are you? Are you there? God, do you even care? That's the second question. How can you just tolerate all this and stand idly by while I'm suffering? God, do you care? Here's his third question. Jump over to verse 13 in chapter 1. Why do you idly look at traitors, at deceivers, and remain silent when the wicked, when the unrighteous, swallows up the man more righteous than he? Now, what he's talking about is Babylon. Babylon uh, is like Babylon's getting off scot-free, God. I mean, they're invading us, they're tormenting us, they're destroying us, and they just get off scot-free. We're more righteous than Babylon, surely, God. Why? God... In, in other words, Habakkuk is asking, God, how is any of this fair? You ever feel like that? feel like, God, my family, we are trying to live for you the best we know how. We are in the Word. We are in the local church. We are serving in the church. We're on mission for you. We're sharing our faith. And God, we're, we're in this time of affliction and this season of suffering, whereas this family over here that never thinks about you, never gives you any honor or glory, the farthest thing from their mind is you, and they just get blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. God, none of this is fair. How is any of this fair? So here's Habakkuk being as raw and as authentic as he can be. God, are you there? God, do you care? God, how is any of this fair? And the beauty of this is God answers him. 
right? Because here's his question. It's the problem of evil. That's what he's asking about. If you sum it all up, here's Habakkuk saying, God, this evil problem is a problem. In fact, one philosopher from the 5th century said it this way. This is Epicurus. He said, if God really is all-powerful, he could stop all the evil. And if he was really loving, he would stop all the evil. So the fact that pain and suffering and injustice remain, that means that either God is not all-powerful or God is not good. One pastor summed all that up, that secular worldview like this. If God is good, he would. If he could, he should. Since he doesn't, he isn't. Okay, that's the complaint. That's the question, this problem of evil. Now, it should encourage us on the one hand because Habakkuk takes his questions to God. (laughs) That should encourage us, right? I mean, in other words, you're not the first person to ever suffer. You're not suffering a new suffering, okay? Your sufferings aren't new. We've been suffering, humanity's been suffering for, since the beginning of time, we've been asking God these questions since the fall. They've been wrestling, uh, humanity's been wrestling with these questions. So we're not suffering new sufferings. That should encourage us. Secondly, We need to know that God is okay with us telling him all is not okay. Okay? Somebody say okay. Yeah, God is okay with you telling him, God, everything's not okay. In fact, not only did God not bite Habakkuk's head off and say, Habakkuk, how dare you speak to me? Do you know who I am? God doesn't do that. He listens. He responds, and then miraculously, sovereignly, he wrote it down. We have it recorded for us. It's a part of the Word of God. Why? Because God knew on October the 6th, 2019, there'd be some folks who need some help. So God wrote it down. It's a part of his Word. That should encourage us. So how does God answer this prophet? Let's see how how God responds to him. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Here's the first response God gives to Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. In other words, he's saying, look around, Habakkuk. (laughs) Be astounded. Wonder at why. Why why do I need? Look at the second part of verse 5. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God is telling Habakkuk, I know what I'm doing, and I'm doing it. That's what God says to Habakkuk. God, are you there? God says to Habakkuk, I know what I'm doing and I'm doing it. I'm doing a work that you couldn't believe if I told you. In other words, it's not just about Judah. It's not just about Israel. It's about every tongue, tribe, language, nation, and people bowing at the throne of God in the throne room of heaven, worshiping the Lord Jesus. That's what it's about. And he's telling him, listen, what I'm doing is not only for your salvation, it's for the salvation of the entire world. I know what I'm doing, Habakkuk. And I'm doing it. And so we see his next response. In fact, Paul David Tripp said it this way. He said, listen, if God, God is more committed uh, to continue his work of grace in you than he is delivering to you another comfortable week. Right? God's doing something. Another said it like this. At any given point in time, God's doing 10,000 things, 100,000 things, of which you're aware of about three of them, okay? He's doing something. He's working. He knows what he's doing, and he's doing it. Here's a second response. You can jump over 
to verse 4 in chapter 2. So Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. We see God's second response to this prophet. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by what, church? By sight or by faith? Okay, so here's God telling about Habakkuk. If you're going to follow me, well, first of all, Habakkuk says, God, are you there? God says, Habakkuk, I know what I'm doing and I'm doing it. Habakkuk says, okay, God, do you care? God says, I know what I'm doing, I'm doing it. And for you, what you how you need to respond is you need to live by faith. You need to live by faith. In other words, he's saying, Habakkuk, listen, if you're going to follow me in this world, you're going to have to do it by faith, which means you're not going to be able to do it by sight, which means we have to be okay, church. We have to acknowledge that there are some things that we will not be able to fully see. Okay? If I were to ask you a question today, is there an elephant in this room right now, a big, real, live elephant? What could you reasonably give me an answer you look around, you don't see an elephant, what would you say? That's a reasonable answer, a reasonable conclusion, isn't it? Is there an elephant in this room? No, I don't see an elephant in the room. That's reasonable to conclude it's such a big animal that if I can't see it, it must not be there. But if I ask you, is there any lice in this room? You better not start scratching your head. You'll be suspect. If I ask you, is there any lice in the room? Well, I, you might look around and see if you see any. Well, I, I, no, but is that completely true? This room may be full of lice. Right? We can't see them. That's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> don't sc- please don't scratch your head. <laughs> please. In other words, listen, listen. Understanding all that God is doing is, is more like locating lice than it is eyeing an elephant. Meaning there's some things he's doing that we just can't see. Okay, Therefore, we must live by faith, not by sight. And that leads to God's third response, his, his third answer to Habakkuk's complaint. And we find that over in chapter 2, the very end of the chapter, verse 20. Here's how he responds. Remember, Habakkuk asks, God, are you there? Are you aware? Do you care? How is, this, how is this fair? And God's response is, I know what I'm doing, I'm doing it. You live by faith. I'm on my throne. That's verse 20. Look what he says. But the Lord is in his holy temple. And if God is in his holy temple, then we could reasonably conclude that God is still on his throne throne he's on his throne he knows what's happening and what's not happening see in the old testament you had priest and prophet a priest represented man to god they would go to god on behalf of man and make sacrifices so the priest did a prophet would go on behalf of god to man and bring a message Right, a prophet. A prophet would do that. Well, Habakkuk is a prophet, but he's here. He's he's going to God for the people, and he's saying, "God, this this isn't right. Lord, uh, are you there? Do you care? Are you aware? Uh, how's any of this fair?" And so he's he's going to God on behalf of us, and that points us to a glorious truth as we see that the Lord in the end of chapter two is on His throne. Here's what we know: Jesus is not only our great high priest, one who laid down His life to bring us to God. He is the prophet like no other prophet because Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the exact 
representation of God. Exactly. You want to know what God's like? All you have to do is look at Jesus. Read the Gospels. That's who God is. And Jesus is the King of kings. He is on the throne, seated at the right hand of God the Father. So here's God's response to Habakkuk. And we can sum it up. Now we're getting to our, our, our outline on the back of our worship guide. So here's our takeaway, our truth for the day. God will heal every hurt. All the questions you have in your mind, all the questions you have in your heart, God's response is simply this, I will heal every hurt. God will heal every hurt. So in light of that, there are some lessons we need to walk away with today, and we're going to wrap this message up with these five lessons. Here's lesson number one. In light of this major promise, because here's the promise from Habakkuk, God will heal every hurt. So in light of that major promise, here's five lessons. Meanwhile, what do we do to do now? God's going to heal every hurt one day. He's going to right every wrong one day. He's going to bring joy to every sorrow one day. But meanwhile, what's our lesson? Number one, future hope results in present help. Hope in the then results in help in the now. Because we have hope, in the future, we can have help in the present. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. This is how Habakkuk communicates this. Look at verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. That's his hope. He has heard and he believes. That's his hope. And your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, somebody say the years. Yeah, what that means is Habakkuk is saying, Lord, do something right now. Oh God. Would you do something right now in the midst of my years, in the midst of this generation, God? Would you, would you revive it in the midst of the years, make it known? God, would you pour out your mercy in my generation? Would you pour out your grace and mercy and extend it to my generation? Habakkuk is pleading with God, like we saw that young man pleading with the judge to go extend some mercy and grace. Habakkuk is pleading with God to pour out his grace in his generation. Habakkuk wants people to know because of the future hope we can have help right now. And we have so much more than Habakkuk had. We have the cross. We have the gospel. We don't just have what Moses did and God used Moses to deliver his people certainly. But now we just don't have one who sprinkled blood on the doorpost. We have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Man, what great hope we have and how we too like Habakkuk must plead with God and pray God would you pour out your grace and extend your mercy as I have this conversation this week. As I enter into this gospel conversation with so and so this week. God, would you extend grace and favor and mercy? Church, should we not plead with God to make himself known to our generation? Should we not? Future hope results in present help. Second lesson, we must learn. Mm, we must learn. Hope comes from hearing and hearing again and again and again. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the Bible never tells us something one time. Have you noticed that? Journaling through the Psalms, have you picked up on that? <laughs> repetition after repetition after repetition. 
In, Mount, in, in Habakkuk, we see it in chapter 3. Look at verse 4 in chapter 3. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. That's a reference to what happened at Mount Sinai when Moses and God had an encounter. And Moses could not look upon God because of all his glory. So Habakkuk is remembering and hearing that again and again gives him hope. All right, look at verse 5. Here's another example. Before him went pestilence and plague, followed his heels. That's a reference to the plagues in Egypt. Again, he's remembering the salvation that God brought him through. Jump over to verse 10. The mountains saw you and wreathed, and, and raging water swept on, and deep gave forth its voice, and it lifted its hand on high. That's a reference to the crossing of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. He's remembering how God has saved his people. He's going over and over. Look at verse 11. The sun and moon stood still. That's a reference to Joshua's day when God saved his people. And then verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. That's speaking of Pharaoh and how he destroyed Pharaoh in the Exodus. So Habakkuk is remembering how God has saved and rescued and delivered his people and saying, God, do it again. God, do it again. God, do it again. He, see, when he hears this hope, it gives him hope. And when you hear hope, it gives you hope. And when you hear hope, it gives you hope. Think about it like this. There's a legendary experiment from John Hopkins University. They wanted to see how long rats could swim before they drowned. And so they put them in there for 10 minutes. And it's about 10 minutes that they started not swimming and started sinking. And so this is what they did. They said, well, let, let's try this. Let's every two, in those first 10 minutes, let's two to three times, let's lift them out of the water. And so they tried that. For, for the first 10 minutes, they would lift them up, hold them up for a few seconds, put them back down, lift them up again, put them back in there to swim again, lift them up, put them back in there to swim. And when they did that two or three times the first 10 minutes, those rats swam for 60 hours. They went from 10 minutes to 60 hours. A hundred times longer they could swim. Why? Here's why. They were introduced to hope. Hope was introduced. Hey, we're out of the water. Okay, that's great. They went back in. Hey, we're out of the water. They went back in. When hope is introduced, as, as, as your pastor, here's my purpose. Here's my purpose. My purpose in preaching the word to you, is week in and week out to point you to hope every week so you can keep on swimming. So guess what? You need to be here. <laughs> That's why you need to sit under the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word and dive into journaling through the word and expose yourself to the word every single solitary day. His mercies are new every day for one reason. We need them every day we got to have hope to keep on swimming. Hey, hope comes from hearing and hearing again and again and again. Number three, hope can coexist with hurt. This is important. Hope and hurt can coexist at the same time. For some, they think I have to stop hurting before I can start hoping. And that's a lie. And some think, well, I have to stop hoping if I start hurting. That's a lie. Hope and hurt can coexist. This is how Habakkuk says it. Uh, notice verse 16. I hear, that's the hope there. 
I hear, Lord. I believe, Lord. I hear. So there's the hope. I hear. Hear it again and again and again. He just walked through it. Do we need to do it again? Do we need to read through that again? Are you good? Can you do it again? Okay, he heard it. He's got his hope there. And then, then look what he says. My body trembles. My lips quiver. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. In other words, he's hurting. He's not dismissing his hurt. He's not blowing it off and saying, oh, it really didn't happen. I just made it up. All right, it's all in my head. I didn't really go through that. I'm not really suffering. I'm just making it all up. No, he acknowledges, yes, I am in pain, and I am suffering, and I am hurting. But in the midst of this, I hear you, Lord, and I look to you, Lord, and I have hope in you, Lord. And here's how he says it. Although I'm hurting, though I'm in pain, though I'm experiencing rottenness in my bones and my legs tremble. Look what he says at the end of verse 16. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. That's hope, church. As he's hurting, he's hoping. Here's the good news. All of us are hurting, okay? Adam fell, sinned against God. Noah got drunk. Abraham lied. Jacob cheated. Moses murdered. Rahab prostituted. David fornicated. Jacob fled. Thomas doubted. Peter denied. Paul persecuted. We rebel, but Jesus redeems. That's the hope we have as we hurt. He, he's our hope. So you, hope and hurt can coexist, praise God. Here's number four. Hope doesn't just happen. We need, we need to come to grips with this, that hope is not something that just happens to us. We have to choose it. We have to make a choice to hope. That's what the end of this is all about in chapter 3. Notice verse 17 and 18. For he says, though, that's a good word for us, though I am in a season of suffering, and he explains the season of suffering. There's no food. It's a famine. It's, he says, though I'm in a season of suffering, yet, good God, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's a choice he made. He made that choice. He said, yet I will rejoice. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I have said it before and I'll say it again. The way you feel will fail you. Your feelings will let you down. One pastor said, our feelings do not have brains. We have to tell our feelings how to feel. Right? We can't make ourselves happy. No, we can't. But we can tell ourselves why we should be happy. Yes, we can. It's a choice that we make. We choose it. Hope is something that we choose. Do you recall, in, I know it's in Luke's gospel around chapter 9 and 10, the disciples are sent out and they go and, and they discover, hey, even the demons are subject to us. And they just have the best day ever. I don't know what you would describe as the best day for you. Maybe you blew a sales goal out of the water. Maybe you hit a deadline. Maybe you aced every test you took for the, for, for the semester or, 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 the, or the week. I don't know what you would describe as a great moment, a great day for you. I don't know. But for the disciples and for a preacher, it's a pretty good day when you can cast out some demons. I'm telling you, that's a good day. And they were excited. The disciples had a great day. We drove out demons and they're subject to us. And they come back rejoicing in that. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, guys. Uh, don't rejoice in your best day on this earth. Don't rejoice in your best moment. Don't rejoice in your best achievement. Don't rejoice in your best accomplishment. But rejoice that your names are written where? 
in heaven. Rejoice that your name, in other words, rejoice in your hope. Choose to rejoice in hope. Don't choose to rejoice in the best day on this earth. Choose to rejoice in the best moment in history when Jesus came, lived a life none of us could live, died a death we all should have died, was buried, and was raised from the dead, resurrected to bring us life eternal. What we need to rejoice in is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what we need to rejoice in. Rejoice in your hope. So it's a choice we have to make. It doesn't just happen. Okay, that's a lesson we need to learn. Number five, the deeper the faith. This is the last one. Last one. The deeper the faith, the higher the hope. As you dig down deep in your faith, your hope is just going to get higher and higher and higher. Here's how Habakkuk says it in 18 and 19. Chapter 3, last two verses. Here we go. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Somebody say, in the Lord. Lord. Yeah, he's going to rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in what? In the God of my salvation. He doesn't say, I'm going to take joy in my salvation. That's something to be joyous about, obviously. Heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, of course. But he doesn't say, I'm taking joy in my salvation. See, here's how he's growing deeper in his faith. Right? Here's how. He says, I'm going to put my joy in the God of my salvation. Not in the gift, but in the giver. Right? I'm, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Not, I'm going, to, I'm going to place my joy in what I receive from God, but I'm going to place my joy in God. That's get, getting deeper and deeper in his faith. And then he says in verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. He doesn't say God gives me my strength. No, no, no. God is my strength. His faith is getting deeper. And then look about his hope. Look at this. End of verse 19. Here we go. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. See, the summit was the place where you'd be the safest in the ancient of day. Nobody could get to you. He says, hey, he's making my places high. My hope is getting higher and higher and higher because my faith is getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And some of us in this room, quite frankly, our faith is way too shallow. We should be ashamed of how shallow our faith is. Chuck Lawless wrote an article that really resonated with me and, 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 and as I thought about my journey, my journey with Christ that I'm still on and still growing and have not arrived and never will and just want to go deeper and deeper. And so he reminded me of this. He wrote an article called Baby Believers or Believers Who Are Just Babies. So baby believers, here we go. Baby believers are hungry for God and the Word. Believers who are babies think they already know the Word. Baby believers are teachable. Believers who are babies complain when they don't get to teach. Baby believers tell others about Jesus. Believers who are babies tell others about themselves. Baby believers cry when they're hurt because they don't understand. Believers who are babies whine when they don't get their way. Baby believers look up to the church's spiritual leaders. Believers who are babies expect others to look up to them. Baby believers admit they don't know something when they don't. Believers who are babies will make up something rather than admit their ignorance. Baby believers rejoice when others do well. Believers who are babies get jealous of those who do well. Baby believers tend to shy away from the limelight. Believers who are babies expect attention. 
Baby believers struggle with sin. They want to fight sin. They, they want to put up a fight and fight it. Believers who are babies make excuses for their sin. Baby believers tend to be joyful no matter what happens. Their joy is in Christ. They're new convert, new disciple, new believer. And they're just joyous no matter what happens. Baby believers are joyful. Believers who are babies, <laughs> they are angry and unpleasant no matter what happens. Our faith is way too shallow. My faith is way too shallow. We need to go deeper. You need to get into uh, the Word. You need to journal through the Word. How do I go deeper? Simple. Bible engagement. Engage the Bible. See, here's the reality. The lost world, people that are lost in the world, let me tell you something. If you want to be evangelistic, you have to engage the Bible. Because here's the reality. People that are lost are not reading the Bible. They're reading you. And if you're not reading the Bible, you're not going to be evangelistic. And they're going to look at you and say, well, what does it matter? They don't care if I go to hell anyway. We're too shallow in our faith. And here's a huge benefit of going deeper in our faith as our hope gets higher and higher and higher. We sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not his benefits. And then David just lists the benefits. He repeats it again and again. Why? Because we need to hear it again. Because this is our hope. And so as we dig deeper into those benefits and dive into God's word and engage the Bible through life group and E3 groups and journaling through the word and memorizing the word and reading the word and praying the word and declaring the word. And as we do these things, our faith will go deeper and our hope will be higher. I'm telling you, church. God will heal every hurt, but meanwhile, we have to learn some lessons. The judge, Tammy Kemp, in this trial of this tragic shooting, and she stepped down from the bench at some point. She walked down and gave the lady a hug before they carried her off to serve her sentence. And she went into her chambers and got her own Bible and gave her her Bible and pointed to John 3, 16 and said, start with this. You've not done too much where you can't be forgiven, so start here. And, and, and when I saw that, I just thought about heaven's, I just thought about heaven and, 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 and the courtroom in heaven where God is, the Father is on the bench and Jesus is our advocate and his, he's interceding for us and saying, yes, I'll embrace anyone who embraces John three sixteen for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and whosoever believes that God sent Jesus, his, his only son, as a gift to die for their sin and be buried and raised to life and that I am the resurrection and the life that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I thought about Lazarus. Let's see, do we have a minute? Yeah, we got a minute for this. Y'all okay? I thought about Lazarus and I thought about Martha and Mary and I thought about this family and they're suffering because Lazarus has died, right? And they even said to Jesus, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, he would not have died, right? He, you could have healed him. And then the Bible says that Jesus wept. And, and, and do you know what's happening there? And the reason we know this is what's happening because what Jesus has said an I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. So here's what's happening. Jesus, he could have healed Lazarus from a million miles away. He didn't have to be there to heal him. He, but Jesus wanted Lazarus and his family and all those folks, he wanted them 
to have him. Not his healing, but to have him. So he opens up his heart and he weeps with them. And they get a glimpse into his heart. Oh, he really is compassionate. He really does care about us. We do matter to him. And then he says, I'm the resurrection life. Do you believe this? So Jesus wanted them to have him, not what he could do for them. He wanted them to have him. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said to them. Not, I will heal your brother and raise him up. No, this is who I am. Do you believe this? This is a God who loves you, who wants to wrap his arms around you and forgive you. And I don't know why you keep coming and walk away from the forgiveness. Today, let all that stop and say, you know what, Pastor? I've been a cultural Christian my whole life. And now I understand that God really does love me and he cares about me. And I matter to him. And I want to enter into a relationship with him. Not a, not, not a, a, an obligation with him, but a relationship with him. Well, he'll do it today. He's ready. He stands ready to receive you today. If you would just come by faith, not by sight, but by faith, put your faith in him. He'll save you today. He'll do it today. We're going to have an opportunity for you to do that here in just a moment. Let me say a word to the rest of us. Um, This book of Habakkuk desperately wanted his generation to have the hope and mercy and grace and salvation that only Yahweh could offer. Do we, do we, do we care that our generation is going to hell? Do do we care? Do, Do we want our generation to experience this great gospel that we have? Well, here's the challenge for all of us. We saw this teenager forgive his brother's killer just, I mean, just, He was hurting, we saw that, but he forgave her. And he put feet to his forgiveness. He didn't just give it lip service. He stepped down and actually embraced her. And some of you in this room today, some of you watching via internet and television, you've been holding on to unforgiveness for 20 years. My soul, you're so bitter about something that happened 20 years ago, you probably don't even remember what it was. And it is time, church, it is beyond time for our generation to see the Lord's church put some feet to forgiveness. And when you walk out of here today, you need to make that phone call, whoever it's to, or go visit that person and ask for forgiveness or offer forgiveness and quit giving lip service to it. Let's put some feet to our forgiveness. Let's put some feet to our hope and our grace and our mercy and our faith. Amen?